All right, welcome back to just another motivational podcast. Um, today we are joined by. Are you Duke or Kevin? I'm confused. <laughs> <laughs> like you got two first names. No, my mom nicknamed me. My nickname growing up was Kevin. I mean, my real name is Kevin. I'm Kevin Harton <laughs> Jr. When I was a little kid, we went to the pool one time, and my pool stuff got switched over around, and I ended up with this grown man's like size, like 62 underwear. <laughs> In my in my shot in my locker, and I pulled it out and it had a big dookie stain right down the middle. I'm crying. <laughs> That's so funny that the name is really from a dookie stain. We was calling you Dookie at the cookout. That's my nickname. My real <laughs> nickname so is Dookie. Like... It's not Duke. It's Dookie. But then as I got older, you know, you started yeah. like messing with girls and people like, "Oh, your nickname Dookie." Dookie. So my, friends, <laughs> my friends got offended. They be like, "We used to call him Dookie, but now he the shit." And then it got shortened to Duke, and I will always wear like Duke like jerseys and stuff like that but i prefer duke because uh the lawyers that like when i'm downtown they used to have a joke that you could tell how somebody knew me by how they addressed me so if somebody came up and said hey kev they'd be like oh that's somebody they don't know me right. lawyer friend yeah mm-hmm. they're like hey duke they'd be like it might be somebody but if you hear somebody go duke hey. oh yeah they're like that's, oh, that's somebody like friend. that's somebody gonna pick me up and spin me in a circle i'm so right. proud of you so they just be like get, get ready so i i like when i hear people call me dookie because it's like it's just a reminder that, like, you know, that's what I, that's who I am. All right, Dookie, it is. Yeah, I'm yeah. crying. <laughs> I don't like Dookie. <laughs> oh, wait, how could I forget? So I baked us some cookies. <laughs> Girl. <laughs> because I just feel like everybody had an emotional week and weekend. And cookies always make me feel better. And I wanted to bake today. So what kind I brought some cookies. They chocolate chip. However, I did put marshmallows in them from the Lucky Charm cookies. What? I mean, the L- Lucky Charm cereal. Lucky Charm cereal is pork. Pork. Marshmallows pork. Marshmallows are pork? Yes. Unless they're kosher. They might be kosher marshmallows. How? So meat. Is meat in a marshmallow? Yeah, because the cop, like the. the, Wow, such a blind boy right now. The the stuff that makes it like squishy. Oh, my cookies. It's like the. (laughs) You're going to put them away now. That's why I stick the oatmeal raisin anyway. (laughs) It's about chocolate chip, but next time I know to leave the marshmallows out. Well, I appreciate it though. I was really so excited yeah, about like, you you put it. You put like, it I mean, the faces just was like, both of y'all looking at me like. <laughs> you put I, them in all of them? In the mix. I put it in the mix. Oh. I couldn't wait to try it because I saw you, it on where Pinterest. Did, where did you get the marshmallows from? Something like I saw it on Pinterest. I'm asking you know, like, did you go through the cereal? I, I handpicked oh the marshmallows God. out of the Lucky Charms. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't so, eat that. Oh, man. Anywho, you gotta give it to a homeless person. Or yeah, I was about to say, That's now man, you gotta leave them outside. And I just like to do one good deed. And it's COVID week, now, so. so you gotta watch out. You can't even leave them yeah. like in the open space. This is my good Tupperware, so I'm gonna just have to pour them on the pavement somewhere. I'm, I'm gonna put them in the cup. Put them in one of the cups. Anyway, go ahead. Y'all, y'all just now messed you, up. You were so motivated. We were like, a motivated podcast. Wait. You were super motivated to make some cookies. She busted. so bad. She went through all the cereal. <laughs> she didn't even get like the oops all berries. I thought they had like oops all, all, all marshmallows. Pork, all marshmallows. Let's make sure I got the original oops all pork. Lucky Charm. Oops all pork. <laughs> now I know. I'm crying. All right. We're going to get right into our minute of motivation. This week, this is a sad moment. Chadwick Boseman, he passed away, but. As I was looking on the internet, he touched so many people's heart. Like, I didn't really know him until Black Panther and then afterwards, but everybody knew him. Like, everybody felt, like, a way about his passing. It's very mm-hmm. sad, but, like, I didn't expect for it to, like, affect the people as much as it did. It's crazy. I know you felt a way about it. Yeah, it was it was a uh, 
you know, full self-disclosure, I uh, recently had a colonoscopy after having a colon cancer scare. So oh, wow. that was less than 30 days ago. And, I, and I'm saying this for the podcast listeners, you know, being on top of your health and getting these tests done, like it's not something you should mm-hmm. wait for. I know I do a lot of medical malpractice work and it just so happens that I had a case without disclosing too much where a client of mine had symptoms that were exactly like mine and somebody messed up when he got diagnosed, he had stage four colon cancer. So for me to see those same exact symptoms, um, I felt like it was a blessing that, you know, that client that I had an opportunity to work with. His gift to me was that I was familiar with what the signs and symptoms of a potential colon cancer, how it rears its head at first. But why it really hit me for Chadwick Bozeman was that, like, I don't think that I spoke about how scared I was. Both of my parents passed away from cancer before they turned 50. So for me, I'm like hyper vigilant about cancer. Like, ain't going to take me to fuck out. Yeah. <laughs> and so when I was going to get it done, you know, talking to my daughter and saying, like, daddy will see you the day after tomorrow. Why not tomorrow? Like, oh, because daddy has to go into the hospital. Is daddy sick? No, daddy's okay. Okay, well, make sure you're good. Like, you know, and just thinking about how heavy that was of conversations I had with her. And then right before I got my procedure done, the prep for it is horrible. Like, you have to drink, like, a gallon of this Pedialyte times 10. And you're literally on the toilet for, like, two days, cleansing your entire body. You can't eat. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you can't, because you're, it's there, I mean. You would really do that. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, a colonoscopy, you know what it, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's no, it's no way around it to yeah. say it. Like, they stick a tube up your ass, you know what I mean? And uh, I told my friends, I was like, look, I felt completely unbothered afterwards. I didn't know it happened. It didn't feel like it happened. So I know a lot of men don't get colonoscopies because they, they so homophobic, you know, yeah. like not having cancer is gay to some men. Yeah. It's just like, really? Tripping. But um, it hit me differently because I think that, Right before I went in there to get my colonoscopy, they're like little pods where you have surgery, where, before, where they prep you before you go in for surgery. The man that was next to me, they found something on his colonoscopy. Oh, so he, they came in and they were like, we're going to fight it. But you could just hear the his voice, like his entire entity shook. And me laying there, knowing I was about to go in, I was like, what are you going to do if they come back and tell you that? And like, I just had a blockbuster year legally. I've got a beautiful daughter. So I have like, like my daughter's really important to me and that's, she's three. So she's just getting into having her personality and everything. So I think when I saw that he had passed away and my mind went to back to where I was that moment when I heard that other man get that diagnosis, because those were my worst fears. And knowing that Chadwick Bozeman lived my worst fears and also contributed everything that he contributed to our community and our culture while he was suffering for that, I was just so thankful for his level of love for our people. I mean, I, I've been very tired because of the work that I've been doing with police reform and and wrongful convictions and, and my regular everyday practice. I mean, I pretty much do tragedy. That's what I, I specialize in helping people after they've suffered tragedies. And that stuff weighs on me. And I think hearing Chadwick passed away, it just hit me in the chest. Like, it was just like, damn, like, it was a conflagration of all of the emotions that I had. And I was literally, I was out with a friend at the bar in full-fledged tears. I called my aunt, I called my uncle who just finished a movie with Chadwick. They did a movie together, The Five Bloods. And they've got that really passionate part at the end where my uncle is embraced by him and, and forgives him. And that movie really moved me as well. So, you know, speaking to my uncle, speaking to my aunt, speaking to my little cousins, speaking to my family that had developed a relationship with Chadwick, that was just like, I don't have many people that I 
can have an emotional relationship with because my parents passed away. So it was good for me to have that release because, yo, that shit wasn't fair. It just wasn't yeah. fair. It just wasn't fair. Cancer is bad. It's horrible. My grandma passed from cancer, lung cancer. I'm iffy. Like, I don't even want to talk about cancer. It's just like. Yeah, it's a, it's a. And the hard part for me is maybe about eight months ago, I represented a young girl who was diagnosed with cervical cancer at the age of 11. Oh, my That's goodness. So and then we represented her and we broke a record out in Berks County. We got the highest verdict in Berks County history, 9.6 million, more than 10 million after you did the calculations of the uh, what's called delay damages, which pretty much with interest. Like with interest, it was more than $10 million. The person that had the record before us was like $3 million. So like, oh, we wow. blew it out the water. But developing a relationship with an 11-year-old and now 15-year-old terminally ill girl who knows she's going to... Just seeing her resolve and her strength, it, it made me a better person because you just got to be grateful for everything mm-hmm. that comes your way. Like People were like, are you sure you want to get the colonoscopy? I was like the first person in line. Like, listen, mm-hmm. I'm not living like that, man. Yeah. Y'all got to listen. Put it up there. And if you can... Listen, they, if they would have put... If they'd have searched for the cancer and then the tube would have came out my <laughs> mouth, I'd have been cool with that. Because oh, I'd, be, I'd be damned if I'd get taken out Better safe than sorry. Yeah. yeah. Amber, what motivated you? I mean, I'm going to use Chadwick as well, but it was something in particular that he said during one of his speeches um, that I want to read. Fearlessness means taking the first step, even if you don't know where it will take you. It means being driven by a higher purpose rather than by applause. And that's the part that stuck out to me, because I think in today's age, with social media being such a big thing, a lot of people do things for the applause. Mm. And if you lose sight of that higher purpose, that why you know, you'll lose yourself and you'll lose, you'll end up giving up if you do everything for validation and, and uh, reward. We always say that, like, once you That's get to, thing. yeah, like, you, you're not motivated no more. Once mm-hmm. you get to where you want to be, what, what else going to motivate you? Right. So that, that's something that I had to have a very strong conversation with myself and my friends group about because you see it sometimes, like, it's a difference when you're driven by hunger and lack of than when you're like, now my game is discipline. Like, it used to be like, I ain't have nothing. So I, I went to the library. I, I used to always tell her, I went to the library on Cobbs Creek all the time because I didn't have air conditioning at home. So like it was that was a place I could go to get work done. Mm-hmm. And I went to school because that's where food was because we grew up really poor. Now that I have everything, it's hard for me to remember that like mm-hmm. you can't ride around and you, you buy a nice car, but it stays parked for 18 hours a day while you're in the office. Right. So I have to switch to a discipline mindset because it's like. You know, what motivates you is that you have to just constantly find new triggers, I guess you could say, like new new things that you're going after, which can kind of make you unhappy a bit because it's like after you make your first million, now you're what's like, next? what's next? Right. Like, I, I accomplished that goal. What do I do now? Or after you win your first big case, like so. And then you got to realize, I think what I've been dealing with recently is realizing that um, I don't want to stop feeling this way. So that means I have to maintain it. You might hit the lottery. Do you go to work the next day? But it's like, yo, that money disappears. You got to pay taxes. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have to remember yourself. And then you start getting into other things. Like you start giving money away. You start helping people that that need your help. So, But yeah, it's hard. It's a very hard transition from what you were just describing where like you're not doing it for the likes anymore. Mm -hmm. Doing it for yourself because you really want to do it. Mm -hmm. Well, what motivated you? Me? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What do you mean? Like in the sense of like. Well, this week, yesterday, last month. I mean, my daughter is a constant motivation. But today, it's funny because today, this morning, I was discussing with my friend what my goal was for this month, and I didn't have one yet because my birthday was August 22nd. 
And around Labor Day, you know, everybody goes back to school. So I always, this is my New Year's. Like most people do resolutions around New Year's, around my birthday, I always sit down and be like, what's next? What do I want to get next? And um, what, do, what do I want to be next? And the hard part for me is, is that my mentors call me about my cases and be like, yo, that was really impressive. So it's like, what's, I don't, I mean, because of racism, because of false glass, like because of glass ceilings that prevented black people from being good lawyers, I don't really know what type of lawyer I want to be when I grow up because I don't think it exists. I don't think there are lawyers that have had multiple seven figure settlements under the age of 35. So what does 50 look like? So for me, what motivates me really is the idea that I have to go out and figure out what success looks like for me. Like I have to figure it out. And not only is it what it looks like for me, but like as one of the younger guys in the city that does what I do, there are other people coming up right behind me. And if I'm lost and I can't figure out where I'm at, how the hell are they going to figure out what the blueprint is? So a big part of it, and, and I think that's why like, I talk to my best friend every day. Um, I talk to my best friends almost every day because we're constantly checking in. How are you doing? What's going on? And so between that, trying to figure it out, figure it out for other people so they can be just as great or better than I am. That really motivates me. Number two, I like to make sure that I still come off as like Duke. Black lawyers, a lot of the time, they don't come from poverty. They didn't grow up poor. And they kind of have this like you can't sit with us mm -hmm. mentality. Like we're like we're black and we're excellent. We're not like those other black people. They don't say that last line. Right. But I felt it because I grew up poor and I've seen how like they, you know, we're going to send our kids to private school. We're going to run out to the suburbs. We're going to, we don't party at that party. We don't listen to this type of music. That's ghetto. Why do you engage those people on social media? And like, I was out at lunch with my homies the other day with a, with a dicky on and some Tim's and a fitted. And they was like, why are you dressed like this? I was like, this, this is how I've been dressing my entire life. Like, and it's like, my homies knew what it was, but like when other people saw me. So that motivates me too, because I like for the young men that don't know that people like me exist. I like for them to see me. I like for them to see me like, yo, like I, my friend Jordan, he's a state representative. He's actually the Democratic whip, which is like very powerful. He's not powerful, influential, very high up for him to be so young. And he always says to me like, yo, you make doing the right thing look cool as hell, dude. You do. And it's like, you are a lawyer, but like, you know, and I say, I pull up at the barbershop, people be like, are you a drug dealer? And I'm like, no, I'm a lawyer. And they're like, really? And I'm like, but that means something to me for these young boys to see themselves mm -hmm. and not because typically they see a guy in a suit with some glasses on that talk like Urkel mm -hmm. and they be like, I ain't no square like him. Right. And I'd rather they see. And that makes me go even harder because it's like, if I fuck up, they go, everybody gonna be like, told you, yep. told you, he's mm -hmm. just a nigga. Mm -hmm. And it's like, so for me, I go really, really I'm really, really into making sure that I'm that person that I needed when I was a young boy. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I got the gift of gab. I'm sorry. I, no, I, I, good. This is the perfect place. <laughs> <laughs> so for a great debate today, um, being as though you work in law, but you also, you got some street knowledge. Let's settle this once and for all. What is the quote when it comes to snitching? Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, I got in trouble for this before already once before. Because when I, I got interviewed by CNN um, when I was in law school, because they wanted people to argue both sides of the of the debate. What's the snitch? And, um, you know, I think it's a fluid thing. I think that the streets define who they want to call a snitch and who they don't want to call a snitch all the time. They redefine it. So, I mean, the traditional snitch is the guy who committed a crime, a co-conspirator, and they 
ratted out they homie. I mean, I always like it's this YG song, and in my hood, like we always used to geek because it was dudes that was like professional snitches. Like we used to say the snitches the shooter, like the person who's in there saying like I didn't do it, I was just there, I didn't mean it, and they the one that get on the stand and they end up getting ten years. They usually the one that's the most shysty. And I think that that's like personally, that's how I've personally felt about it. It's like, it's not just the fact that you told because I was a prosecutor and I used to sit down with black men, primarily black men, white men, Asian men, and coach them through whether or not they were ready to lead the streets. Because when they got on the stand, they would have to tell. And I've been in that situation. I got shot. I didn't tell when I got shot. But to be honest with you, I couldn't have told. I didn't even, I didn't even see the guy that shot me. But at the end of the day, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was jumping for joy to go and tell. I mean, the best thing that happened was that I didn't see it because then it would have put me in a two or three year bond. I got shot January of 2006. I was in law school in August of 2007. That's less than 16 months later. If I was still testifying and having to go to court and doing all of that, I would have been actively engaged in the street life for just that much longer. Like, I just wanted to be done with it. Had um, you know who shot you? Would you would have said anything? I don't think so. I don't think so. Because at the time where I was at, put it like this. The day I got shot. I got out 18 hours later. The first thing I said was, take me back to the block. We, I'm out there, shot up. five. I got hit five times. They propped me up on the steps where we sold drugs at, and I put a big-ass burner on my waist, and I just sat there. People was pulling up, and they were saying, like, yo, dude, I heard you got shot last night. Wasn't me. Because I wanted to distance myself. Because you know that, that neighborhood rumor mill starts to start. And then retaliation starts to start. Mm -hmm. And then the cops put your name in stuff all the time. So now every time a shooting happened over in the neighborhood where, or a shooting happened that involves anybody in our neighborhood, my name is at the top of the list. I'm top of mind to the police. I'm top of mind to the dudes I'm beefing with. I'm top of mind to my own homies. And I didn't want to be top of mind. I wanted everybody to be like, oh, he got hit up. Like two weeks later, I was in the barbershop. And there's no place where man-on-man -man gossip happens more than the barbershop. I walked into the barbershop. They was like, damn, dude, what happened to you? I was like, I was in a car accident. They was like, oh, that's crazy. Nobody in the barbershop knew I got shot. The barbershop in my own hood, nobody knew because I, I went on a campaign of making sure nobody knew that I got shot. Because I didn't want that drama surrounding my name. And I've always been that way. Like, I'm really good at as crazy as my life has been. Drama will pop up. You'll see me and not even realize what's happening. Like people will be like, dude, why didn't you tell me? Like the day that my dad died, I went to school. Like and I was at law school. And then like it was like three days later and somebody was like, Kevin, I saw on Facebook that like people were posting like RIP to your dad. Did your dad die? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. And they're like, when were you going to tell somebody? I was like, I didn't want that energy. I didn't want people coming up and rubbing me on the yeah. shoulder. And same thing happened when my mom died. I was in college when my mom died. I was laying in bed with some girl I was talking to. My dad left a voicemail. Yo, your mom died. Call my phone. It's an emergency. I called him. I went to the cafe and started making food. People was like, yo, I've been losing my mind right. if my mom died. And I was like, I was. Too, I was. But at the same time, it's like, it makes it difficult for me to accomplish things when everybody's running around like a chicken with their head cut off. So I think personally, what I've identified as like snitches that are just like, they just can't be rehabilitated are the ones that are shysty. Like the ones that like they planned it, they put it together. They were the messy one that got them caught. Like you actually the gorilla and you took a whole bunch of dickheads with you. Young boy, you take some dickhead young boys with you. And then as soon as the squally come, you the victim. They had everything to do with it. And I've seen a lot of that. And then as far as it goes, folks that just get on the stand and tell, like I'm not one of those folks that sit around all day talking about who's a rat and what's a rat. I mean, because at the end of the day, like, what the fuck they got to do with me? <laughs> like, what do they got? If, like, what do they got to do with me? Like, it, it has absolutely nothing to do with like what I do on a regular basis. Now, 
That's why I said the shysty part is what gets to me, because like if I encounter you and I know that you a shysty dude who be in the mix and, and snitching and trying to drag people in, because I'm telling you to this day, I've had people try to get me caught up as a lawyer. I've had boys walk up to me and be like, yo, do you know this judge? Yeah. Can I give you a thousand dollars to get that judge to get me off probation? No and I literally <laughs> lean in. I lean into him. I was like, I don't know what type of dickhead you think I am, <laughs> but whoever put this wire on you. And those are the types of people that like I can't deal with. I, yeah. Like those, like if you talk about a snitch, like somebody that's a professional snitch, they out here looking for ways to get people lined up. Okay. Those are the folks that are dangerous. And as somebody that worked in law enforcement, there are a lot of those sorts of folks around. I'm talking about, and I know some of them, they don't be on paper. You know, people be like, oh, I got the paperwork where he snitched. That person could have told why they was high off of drugs or high. Like they couldn't, they could have been in a situation where the police beat the shit out of them and made them give a statement. But the dudes that's out here working that will literally go out and try to entrap people like, you, I just came up with some work. There are dudes that don't even ain't even in the streets like that. But if, if somebody came to me and said, yo, my cousin got six bricks, we just need to move it. And I need you to give me 10 grand of your poor. There are people that don't view that as a negative thing. They're like, oh, this is a quick come up. I'm not even a dope dealer. But if you got the plug real quick, this is a quick come up. And then the next thing you know, squally in they face with the burners. And they like, yo, I'm not even a full time drug dealer. A lot of these dudes not even full time drug dealers. And they get caught up because some snitch put something on their lap. That's where I draw the line. These dudes that be out here, not that heat of the moment snitching where dudes get you like dude got shot six times. And then they give a statement while they're in the hospital and people be like, man, what was you supposed to? I'm like, man, he had more morphine in his system. Like he don't even know where he was. I never thought about it like that. Though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This is a very new perspective yeah, for me. Oh, yeah. I mean, 90 percent of the, the two, 90 percent of the young boys that tell when I was a DA, when they came in, they didn't remember telling because they was high as a kite or they just did it because the emotions of it. Like, dog, you saw your man brains get blown out in that moment. You're not thinking about. You may not, and, and you 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 got a you got locked up with a burner, and you sitting there like, dudes be acting like they don't be afraid to die. Folks be trust me, I've seen folks in them videos when they were recording those statements. Them dudes be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I just want to talk to my mom. I want to go home. Right. You know and that's mean? when they end up snitching because they be over it. Like the cops would keep them in here for hours and days. And what ends up happening is. They don't have the resources and the, and the law enforcement doesn't have the resources to get them out. You, you tell because in your mind, you're like, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And then dudes literally like tell and then they go hide across Broad Street. Like, you know what I mean, like, like, like where are you hiding at? Like, oh, you know, he don't fuck with the hood no more. Oh, so he went from Southwest to Winfield. <laughs> like, they don't even go nowhere far. Like, they'd be on the run and they'd be like, where you see him at? Down Frankfurt. But ain't he from like, ain't he from like right there? That's always funny. But people don't. People really don't be having the resources, man. And it's it's, it's corny. And, um, you know, I understand what it is. That's why I don't get involved in it. Like, I got, you know, I got homies that will ask me what should they do with certain circumstances. And I tell my homies all the time, if you're about to do something stupid in the streets, tell me if it justifies you sitting in court and turning that moment when you come out in court in a suit with your handcuffs on. And you turn around and look at your family and they be like, Commonwealth versus Kevin Harden. And you stand up and how do you plead to the charges of killing? And then if the person that you thinking about doing something to or the crime you thinking about committing, if you are embarrassed right now at the idea of like, how do you plead to the charges of shooting at such and such? If that embarrasses you right now and it wouldn't be worth it right now, then you should think about that. Because I'd be damned if anybody's make me Commonwealth versus Kevin Hart. Like nobody in the world can do something to me that'll have my name 
on the other side of a fucking V. Ain't no fucking, ain't no way. Ain't no way. I got a gun license now. Like, what the fuck? Like, like what the hell? I like being a, out here being like worrying about snitch shit and all that, that culture. Like, I mean, look at Takashi 6ix9ine. You're making the whole industry like a damn, look like fools. That's, yeah. But see, he's a snitch. I would consider him a snitch. I do consider Takashi a, a snitch right. and a rat. But like, first and foremost, everybody involved in that situation is weirdos. With the clout, yeah. They was clout chasing. <laughs> they was clout chasing. They got involved with a dude that wasn't in the in with the shits. Exactly. If you wasn't clout chasing and dick eating, you wouldn't have ended up in that situation. Yeah, you wouldn't have to worry so about like, snitching. Why I care about him ratting on them when they wouldn't have been in that situation had they not been Joe? Yeah. You welcoming these aliens into your squad. <laughs> like what you far away from home, you an alien. They should have recognized that he wasn't going to be solid. Mm -hmm. They should have knew he wasn't going to be solid from the get-go. Look so, at him. Yeah. So don't come to me 30 days later, like, how y'all gonna support this rat? Right. How did y'all support this rat? He was a rat before he started ratting. Mm -hmm. To be honest with you, like we knew y'all knew he was a rat. Y'all thought it was cool because y'all was getting some pussy and some money off of his name. And now when he turned around and want to keep his name and keep his pussy and keep his money, <laughs> y'all acting weird. Come on, man. So like, yeah. yeah, do I consider him a rat? Yes. But I mean, <laughs> listen, it was a bunch of rat babies up under him eating off his rat titties. <laughs> like, so now all of a sudden you're not a rat. You you was you was drinking his rat milk all this time. And now all of a sudden you're not a rat. So you just you just a, a, you, you a real one that just happens to like rat milk every once in a while. Right. No, that's not how it works. How do you feel about them calling uh, Meg Thee Stallion a rat for saying that Tory shot her? Any man who says anything about Meg Thee Stallion negative, it has a problem. I, I mean, I don't think there's anything really you can say about Meg Thee Stallion that's negative at this point. Meg Thee Stallion is like, she's reached what I call Cardi B levels, which is like, we should just build a monument to them. And like, because they, they're artists, they're talented, they stand, they stay, they're stand up. And men that call Meg Thee Stallion a rat probably... Are having are just they're probably got too much free time on their hands because with COVID, the <laughs> the janitorial jobs they were working aren't really work aren't really running like like you 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 ain't got a, a ounce of street in your body if you out here calling women rats and if you calling Meg the Stallion a rat for getting shot by her domestic partner, it makes me think you probably smoke Reggie weed and it's a privilege <laughs> when you smoke that Reggie weed. Like those are the type of weirdos that say those types of things. Like the dudes that, like the who this dudes. Like you know, I'm knowing that oh, this you. Like those are dudes that you go look in their comments and somebody then dis you them or something like that. Like they they super weird, super weird. Women been like dissing her too. Like kind of. First of all, I've been seeing girls kind of justifying like, oh, well, she must have been yeah, yeah, like she must have been provoking it. First of all, domestic violence is never okay. It's not a like. It I don't, matter I don't if see she how a it. female could even ever justify domestic violence. It's not a game. It's not a joke. So to see women, the, the comment that Drea made, oh, I want my man to love me that much to shoot me. Like we know, we know, that, we know that she has, um, <laughs> we know that she has some issues when it comes but to like, uh, decision making. Yeah, it's like men and women just people just want something to say. Yeah, it was like I think he was like a retired basketball player or something. He said like you deal with somebody that created the term demon time and then we all get into a fight and he shoots you, you should expect it or something like that. Yeah, I forget who that was. That was like a, that was somebody that, um, it was Boyce Watkins, yeah, it was Boyce Watkins yeah. that said that. I don't know who and, and But he's a part of the crew of black men who are upset that their money not long. Like you ever see that meme that they post where it's like, 
the girls was attracted to the drug dealers when they were young and then after they get pregnant and have babies and they show the guy with the suit and they're like <laughs> you didn't want me back then like it's dudes that literally their energy their entire lives has been that energy like some girl stopped didn't talk to you when you were like 12 because she dated a guy who picked her up in the Bonneville outside of school when she was in eighth grade and now you carry that energy for the rest of your life and that's the type of guy that would say something like that like how you hating on de demon time was the best part of fucking quarantine like, right. like I was like in between demon time and Lil, listen, I created, a, <laughs> I created a burner page and everything to watch Lil because one day I'm on with Lil live and it was like, I made a comment from like my professional page and then my one of my clients called me like, you was on Lil live last night oh, too? Shit. And, I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, well, but he's a, he ain't got Esquire after his name. That's so weird. Like, you like, like there's people on there twerking and I'm on there with my real name. Like, you can't comment. You can't I was, look. Look, listen, it was people hitting me up afterwards like, I saw you in there, Duke. And I'm just like, Oh shit! Oh, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> no, but I, I've I, I've mentored young men about domestic violence through my fraternity. I have a very strong theory about domestic violence. Domestic violence, in my mind, and my mom was a victim of domestic violence. I got into a fight with a man over my mom. I was a rape prosecutor. My mom got raped. I like intervened in it. But my theory on domestic violence is that men only act like that because they that's the only situation they feel like they can control. Empowering, yeah. That's the only way they feel in control. Because like, if 99% of the justifications for a man hitting a woman that men offer or that anyone offers, they would be sufficient reason for me never to fuck with that woman ever again. So like, you talk crazy to me and make me feel like shit, I'm just gonna dump you and get another woman. If you cheat on me, I'm just gonna dump you yeah. and get another woman. If you do things to me that make me not value you, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to ex excise myself from the situation. So when you think about that, like what is going through a man's mind where he can't, he doesn't feel like he can dump his girl. And in my mind, I'm thinking it's like, it's because you're a fucking weirdo. Yep. Like you can't get another woman. So therefore you hit her. Me, if a woman does something trifling to me, I'm out. Like I'm out. It's a thousand other baddies out here. Like I'm out. So the idea that they would, that a man would hit a woman, like it means that like you don't think you have other options. I got all of the options. So it's just like, I, I would never find myself in a set of circumstances where, and I've been maturing myself on this point because it's not just laying your hands on women, but I don't even try to make women, I don't even try to be petty towards women anymore. Like it used to be like when I when a girl hurt my feelings or something went wrong, I'd be petty towards them and do, I don't even do that anymore. I, I don't want my name and my energy ever associated with the degradation or the misery of a woman, particularly a black woman. If we fall out, cool, love you, this my energy, I'm out. I don't even need to embarrass you. I don't need to do nothing to you. I don't need to do subliminals. And I had a real rough breakup with my daughter's mom. Like. I don't need to do that anymore. I'm going to win privately and I'm going to be happy no matter what because I don't want to even be involved in any of that. So like when it comes to that's how I feel about it. So as far as Tory, people calling, listen, that is the level of weird that just, the quote Matt makes me sick, jump the shark. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, <laughs> All right, we want to um, play a game to loosen up. It's called this or that. So, yeah, you're pretty loose. Yeah, you're already loose. This or that. So Twitter or Instagram? What day of the week? <laughs> Twitter, Monday through Friday. Instagram, Friday through, through Monday. Like Instagram on the weekend, Twitter during the week. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> working alone I, or working with the team? Working alone. 
definitely working alone. I've realized recently, like I, that my friends get together for bike rides. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go running. I'll meet y'all after the fact. Like I, I do like being by myself a lot. Same. Y B O D or Dyna? <laughs> y B O D is over air. Like if you, if you, like it, it yeah. I mean, ain't no way. Like, all right, Y B O D or Baby Dyna? Baby Dyna. Look, look. All right, all right. YBODs over air, like so. yeah, a baby Dino is like a YBOD with a better head on yeah. shoulder, like yeah, a little bit more established. Listen, I'm sorry, y'all, y'all caping for yourselves, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm bullshitting because like most of the girls I date are older than me anyway. It's really weird. Oh, um, you like fossils? Oh. Fossils, <laughs> pterodactyls, pterodactyls is shit. It's Jurassic Park at my house. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I, that just happens to be like the energy that ha happens. I, I, I think I'm, uh, I've recently, like, I think the retired drug dealer stable of women, like the girls that date all the retired drug dealers, like their noses are open for like some talent. Yeah. Cause it's like, that, and that's really what's, what it's been. Like, I, I really feel like all the, all the people I know that like, oh, you know, like what was up with your ex? Like, oh, you owned a bunch of properties and he used to be in the streets and now he's changing his life around. That's like everything. I like, I don't know. And I guess I'm like in that niche where like they say, oh yeah, like he's a reasonable alternative. Like mm -hmm. I can't date young girls. Um, I talk about it on social media, but it, it's, it's just not, I don't have the time or the energy for the level of, uh, the level of attention and the amount of growth they need. Like, I'm, I'll be damned if I'm arguing with a girl on social media. I'll be damned <laughs> if, like, somebody posting about me on Twitter, like, you know, he ain't, right. he, he ain't, he ain't take me out right. I'm like, you you got your damn mind. <laughs> like, so, but no, YBOD still. Like, they're still, <laughs> they're still better than air. Uh, white or brown liquor? Well, clear or brown liquor? Um, So... Tequila is weird. I've always like had an argument with people about whether or not tequila is clear or brown. Different kind, like Reposado and Anejo, that's brown. Yeah, but it's still, still tequila. It's considered a white, a light liquor. Yeah, it's still considered tequila. a light. Like Reposado is still considered a, a light liquor. But I think tequila has always been like I could go out and get smacked and be like, all right, just give me a tequila real, shot real quick. Put me right back where I need to be. Like yep. it, it gets it tightens my ass right up. So you're yeah, definitely like, if not that dark. I mean, I'm a big time old fashioned guy. Like I like drinking. Uh, Scotch, so Balvini, McAllen, all that stuff. That's just working downtown in a suit and stuff. Don't know what that stuff is. I know Never. scotches. Don't yeah. know what the other Those stuff is. Those are scotches. Those are like brown oh, yeah. scotches. The fancy kind. Yeah. yeah. So to get into more <laughs> to who you are and what you do, what is a catastrophic injury attorney? Never heard of such thing. It's a catastrophe. So, so that's the thing that my daughter watches. Like, it's a catastrophe. Oh, but no. like, So like oh, think about think about how you would describe a catastrophe. Like this is bad. Like this is a this is a, a plane crash, uh, a person's leg getting cut off, a car accident where somebody loses an arm. Like those are catastrophic injuries. So it's like people call me and be like, "Yeah, uh, I fell and broke my arm," and and I'll be like, "Yeah, but your arm's going to heal." It's not catastrophic. Catastrophic is a train crash, a medical malpractice that result results in the death, in death or loss of life or limb. And, you know, really it's a valuation thing. So when you talk about catastrophic injuries, we're talking about cases that involve injuries that would probably be valued at one to two, one, more than $1 million. And you get that from medical cost or things that they've been through. So I'm a catastrophic injury attorney. And, you know, it's not always something that kills somebody or hurts them really badly. I mean, because I represented my friend Terrence Lewis and he didn't get like a, he didn't lose a leg or die, but he spent 20 years in prison. 
for a crime he didn't commit. I'm pretty sure most people would consider that to be a fucking catastrophe. Sure. So okay. So if I get ran over by a SEPTA bus and my foot comes, SEPTA has a five hundred thousand dollar cap on how much they pay out because of the state law because they're a state entity. So literally, like people bring us those types of cases, and I'm like, I have a really good friend that can help you with that. <laughs> Dang. So when I if I get ran over by UPS truck. Now, there you go. <laughs> now we're talking. Anytime they got letters on the side, they got an insurance, and then UPS is probably self-insured. You get hit by a UPS <laughs> truck, that shit going to say your name on the side of it by the time UPS. I'm done. Perfect. I'm going uh, in front of the next one. Oh, no, no. Come on. I'm about to say, because if you work for them, <laughs> that means that it's workers' comp, so never mind. Like, that means you <laughs> she jump. Gonna jump in front. I'm going to jump in front of her truck. That sounds like fraud, and I don't want to participate <laughs> in that. I'm going to tell y'all now, I, I tell people all the time, if some shit happens with me, because we asked about that snitch question, I tell people in advance, y'all about to do some shit that's illegal because I'm telling. <laughs> like, don't, like, listen, I, I tell people all the time, like, yo, like, don't expect me to be, like, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm, 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 if they ask me what went wrong and your dumb ass did something, so all of my friends know, everybody that's watching this podcast, Kevin Harden is not with the shits, okay? <laughs> and I mean, I, my homies still do crazy shit and I hear about it. Um, and I'm still a lawyer, so I have, you know, attorney client privilege. So people come to me and hire me for little stuff all the time just so they can get advice or for get help, you know, especially with all this poor fraud going on and all of that. I get calls all day long. Like, oh, my God, somebody put this money in my account. And I'll be like, oh, not my fault. Somebody you apply for it. <laughs> no, it's a lot of scams going on. Where yeah, people, it is. people are getting people to say, like, yo, give me all your information. And I'm gonna get you a grant, or mm. give me all your information. Oh wow! And I'm gonna get you a I'm loan. I've seen people post like that, like I can help you get get a loan. And people yep. don't realize, like, oh well, am I eligible for it? And they don't know that they're eligible for it. And then what they don't realize is that the person is fudging the numbers on the application. Mm. And then they get and they get everybody money. going to jail. I don't think. I mean, this happened with Hurricane Katrina, in and like all the hurricanes in the South, they usually set up these like disaster funds. It happened with Hurricane, uh, it was the Sandy. one that happened in Jersey. Sandy. Sandy. And they set up these disaster funds. And what you surprisingly, what you'll find out is that the Fed, because it's so widespread, the fraud, the Feds will set an artificial floor and they'll say, we're not prosecuting any cases below this number. So it's really, they really, because they only have so much resources, they'll only go after like the big fraudsters. But the mm -hmm. folks that are actually going out and finding people and bundling them together, they gonna they gonna, they, they gonna have a rough way. I know plenty of people that did that too. They gonna have a rough way. Oh. Ooh, child. Enjoy the rest of y'all summer. <laughs> they gonna have a rough way. And listen, all I'm saying is, to save some money for your lawyer fees. Chains is cool to cop. Baggy rollies are cool to cop. But more baggy important, rollies. oh yeah, we, we have, it's the baggy <laughs> they rollie. Haven't been fitting. It's the baggy rollie. Just go get the link taken out. That's how you know they bought them off some hood. <laughs> that, that they bought it in a hood set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. The baggy roll. Whenever they start doing this, <laughs> and it's sliding down to their elbow. elbow. Listen, it's like a armband. They be wiping their head with it and everything. <laughs> I tell them like this: it's the baggy rollie Olympics out here right now. But what I'm saying is, is that change is cool to cop. Baggy rollies is cool to cop. But more important is lawyer fees. Pay me, not the baggy rollie man. Period. Period. <laughs> All right. I feel like you kind of have your foot in like one foot in two different worlds. So would you say like you're different when you're around your other your friends based on when you're around your work people? How do you adapt? No, that's my damn problem. Everybody be like this little ghetto nigga working downtown. Um, no, I, I I don't. I pride myself on being me everywhere I am, and I also pride myself on there not being my foot isn't in two different worlds. I'm bringing two worlds together. together. Mm -hmm. So like when you go, like you, you come to a black tie gala with the barristers and the barristers official DJ is my, is my good friend, DJ A Boogie. 
You know I mean, and DJ A Boogie is known to them and they hire him for their weddings. They hire him for their other events, for their other like professional events. Like there's no line between Boogie and the black lawyers. There's no line between my homie Jig and the black lawyers. And, and that's I think that's a dichotomy that we as black people have kind of imagined exists, but it doesn't exist in other communities. Like when I go and talk to my mentors who are Jewish or Catholic or Christian and they're in white, they'll say like, oh, I'm just going to see him at the church, this, the synagogue tonight, or I'm going to see him at the church tonight. They all still worship together to, to, regardless of their income or whatever. And I think that, you know, I'll, I'll just give an example, like rich white people smoke weed and they have a weed, man. Like you think that they consider themselves to be stepping into a different world when they go smoke weed. Mm -hmm. So the idea that like, you know, I've had uncomfortable instances where like white people have come to me and be like, you used to be a drug dealer. Can you score me coke? And I'd be looking what? at them like, uh, no, <laughs> I would never know who would be standing outside <laughs> right in 15 minutes ready to sell drugs because I'm not into that lifestyle. But there's going to be a black Jeep. Uh, there would never be a black Jeep outside with um, 58th Street tags uh, with a guy named uh, Raheem. Uh, randomly selling uh 20s of uh, cocaine i would never tell you that <laughs> but you know i've noticed that the two worlds are much more alike than people think they are primarily because black folks we we i mean me and my friends joke that we don't go to del frisco's that's the poverty that's the poverty palace <laughs> like that's what we call like like oh y'all where y'all at we had del frisco's oh y'all felt like being poor today <laughs> um but we don't go there because it's just something that's considered so mainstream for everybody, white and black. So it's mm -hmm. like, like, and, and I prefer to be somewhere that's a little, a little more low key, a little less about being seen, a little more uh, exclusive. But I don't think that there's that much of a divide. I just think that, you know, we, we wear the same stuff they wear. We shop at the same places they mm -hmm. shop at. We vacation to the same places they vacation to. And if anything, I think that the real divide is like, there's, there is a contingent of people that I work with that are kind of like mainline-ish. Like they're like up in Bryn Mawr and they live out there. And like I eat out there a lot. That's where I like to hang at, honestly. It's like, you know, there's a lot of dope stuff up there. Um, but I do see that divide a little bit. But you'd be surprised how many people I work with, um, white, black, whatever. And they look at me as like authentic and they want to be around me more. And they don't want to be around the fakeness, like they, they gravitate towards me because they know they can be themselves and they might end up at a house party where somebody pulls out, you know, a J and start smoking it and it's like, oh, I'm just so happy not to be around these stuck up. Because <laughs> Every, everybody's yeah. pretending, like everybody's right. pretending and then you get to me and it's just like, yo, what you doing tonight? Right. Like, I'm going out, we going over here, we going to have a house party. And like, and I've had, so I've had house parties where like my black lawyer friends, including like prosecutors and my white lawyer friends come out and they're like, wow, you got me in West Philly. Like, <laughs> And they're like, but I've never felt this much love, this safe. Like your friends all just blend together. And they're like, I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, like all these girls are so beautiful. Like, are they like married to like NBA players? And I'm like, girl, that's such and such. She work at she work at White and Williams Law Firm. They look, damn, I didn't know her butt was that big. Like you'll hear girls <laughs> making those comments. And then like, or you'll see they be like, and what about that guy over there? Like, I really like his outfit. Where do you like where like this when Saint Laurent was popular? He's a Saint Laurent, it's all that. I'm like, sis. That is Aaron. And she's like, oh shit, but he like a nigga. I'm like, because he, he is one. Like, 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 he like a black man. Like he they, wow, he can wear a seat. And it's just like you you people really think that there's this like artificial divide. And it's just not. We just because I wear a suit downtown every day, like people see me during COVID and they be like, man, I I speak to my white friends. I'm like, hey, hey Josh. And they're like, wait a minute, dude. 
like, is that Kevin? And I don't have my glasses <laughs> on because I, people think I'm like, I'll stop wearing my glasses because like I'll be, it'd be fogging up. So I started wearing my contacts every day. And usually I, I used to wear glasses a lot because they made me look older. One of the hard things about being a lawyer and a young lawyer is that nobody wants to hire a baby. Like they all want to, they want me to have a couple more gray hairs mm-hmm. and I don't have that many gray hairs yet. So I've always done things that make me look more official. So that's why I wore glasses. What skills do you feel like you learned in the street that you can use in your career? The first, my mainstays in the streets were I was a, I was always available. Like everybody else like got drunk and like kept, like they would go to the clubs and everything like that. I didn't, I would go out, but I was always around. So the number one thing is like the availability factor, like the work ethic. Like I'm, I, I practice law at 10 a.m. on Saturdays. I practice law at Fridays on at 2 p.m. I mean, Fridays at 2 a.m. Like everybody jokes all the time. I'm always posting, leaving my office at the weirdest hours. But like those are the hours I kept when I was in the streets. So I won't say skills specifically. I'll say more like work ethic and traits mm-hmm. that I've had that made me that was made me solid in the streets. That also made me solid as a lawyer. Um, I think I've always been very personable. I've always been like very like, you know, I never treated people who bought drugs off of me like they were less than me. Um, a lot of people did. They say, mm-hmm. you know, they call them crackheads. and all. I don't right. do that. Um, I always treated people like, you know, because my mom was addicted to crack. So I never looked at them as less than. So even to this day, like you can call me whenever, wherever. And I'm always going to have an ear for you, like real personable, very. I mean, when I was in the streets, I kind of got. I advanced as quickly as I did because I figured out the math. Like I immediately figured out the math. Like how is it that they can live the lifestyle that they live while I'm out here with a being 30 pack? Like <laughs> what is they doing and how are they getting it and work, why, that, and work backwards? And I did that very young. Like I was like, everybody else was worried about, you know, flipping a seven, you know, buying a work hard like i was the first one like what's the what's the pinnacle of doing the street shit and that's the, the thing that i went to that went straight for so in practicing law like i found out that there were lawyers that make like two thousand dollars per hour and i was just like where is that and wow. i reverse <laughs> how and i reverse engineered it and tried to get there you know tr- i'm still trying to get there publicly um, <laughs> they gonna hear this like oh he made two thousand dollars <laughs> i'm still trying to get there publicly um but at the same time, um, I, I also had like a level of diplomacy when I was in the streets that I think I've carried with me to to practice in law. Like one of the things I've learned, I learned in the streets was that like if, if you have thin skin, you're going to get yourself rocked. If people's always like because it's always some drama in the hood. It's always dudes running around chatty Cathy. It's always some dude who girl like, you know, the girl that mess with you here, messing with the drug dealer from three blocks over. And that always like you just had to have a thick skin. And there's been so many instances where I've been practicing law and there's like chaos going on, like some scandal or drama. And I say to my friends all the time, I was like, I used to get shot at by the dudes that live two blocks away. Like like they live two blocks away and we would be in shootouts. Like, how could I possibly freak out right now? Nope. When you think about the fact that like I've sat in the pond like 55th and Pine more than one time. And they wouldn't, if I kept a dog in that police station, if I kept a dog in my house in the, in the conditions that that police station's holding cells look like I'd, I'd go to jail. So I've sat in jail and people be like freaking out. And I'd be like, listen, let's, let's, let's be relative here. Like, let's be relative here. Like this is a disaster, but no one's shooting at us. <laughs> right. So I have that too. Like it, it really gives me, some perspective. 
And I think um, I learned how to have a, I, I learned how to have like a poker face. Like in the streets, you got to have a poker face. You know, you got to be able to, you got to know how to keep things close to your vest. You got to know who to trust, who not, who not to trust. You got to know how to read people. And I'm really good at that. So like when I'm in court, like I can just, I just get like people, I, my instincts are, I, I, we always tell a joke about a case that I tried where I had eight black men on a jury and my people that I work with was like, we ain't never seen eight black men on a jury. And my foreman, my jury four person ended up having a do-rag on like the day that he gave the red the verdict wow. and he found, they found the guy guilty. It was a gunpoint robbery of like some kids. Like they did a home invasion gunpoint robbery of like two 12 year olds. And uh, my boss was like, how did you know that that person was going to be like cool to be on your jury? And I'm just like, cause I, cause that's what I grew up in. Mm -hmm. Like I know when somebody bat shit crazy mm -hmm. and when somebody not bat shit crazy and you'd be surprised how many people don't have those skills. Like they think people like, like a lot of people don't like me and I'm okay with that. But, um, You'd be surprised how many people don't realize when people don't like them. And I'd be like, I already know. I get it. Like, I get it. Like, you ain't got, I mean, people have been disliking me my entire life. Like, it's all right. I mean, my nickname is Dookie. Like, somebody <laughs> somebody had to uh, be upset with me to give me that nickname. Can you tell us more about your police reform work and what made you get into it and some of the challenges that you face? I got into police reform work after my childhood, I guess you could say, adolescent best friend Stevie got shot and killed by a cop. It's actually how I know Amber, because I met her sister when I was a young woman. Me and, me and Stevie used to stand on the corner and, you know, be typical niggas and, yo, little buddy, yo. <laughs> and uh, we had a mutual best friend, Rashawn, Rashawn Howard. And he got killed. He was like, our like I had homies die before that, but that was the first time, like, somebody that, like, I checked out with lasting at night. He got killed. He got killed by his own brother. Wow. And, um, okay. and like, um, I talked to him right before he got shot and killed. Like he was getting into an argument with his brother. And then I was like, he's like, man, I love you, bro. I'll talk to you in the morning. Like literally he's one of those guys that you talk to every day. And that drove me and Stevie real, real close. Like me and Stevie was like unseparable. Um, Stevie's son is my godson. And I remember when he asked me that I had, I had lost a son. So I had, right after I got shot in 06, you know, mortality punched me in the chest. It's like, you almost died. And if you'd have died, there wouldn't have been nobody, like there would have been no, no memory legacy. of you, no legacy. Nobody remembered you. So my goofy self got somebody pregnant and it was, it was, I mean, it was a great situation. Like I was, like, me and the girl, um, really vibe, really, we really fucked with each other. But then she ended up losing the child and it was like full term. Like it wasn't like a miscarriage early on. Mm -hmm. It was like a full term, like baby born. that was born. And no, it wasn't still born. He was born and then he didn't, he wasn't, I think she had preeclampsia real bad. Mm -hmm. She went to labor when she was by herself. Like she had seizures. It was all this bad oh, stuff. Yeah, like bad. they found her inside the house. Like. She had fell on a mirror oh, and then the mirror had cut her all up. It was just a very traumatic. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's okay now. I mean, I, we were young, so we didn't think like counseling. She she survived it, but like she was, it was essentially like having a stroke. So she was like, she couldn't walk for a while. She had to go to rehab. Like it was, it was rough. And like, and she couldn't really see, like she can see now, but like for a while she couldn't see. And I'll never forget like one day her sister and her sister's boyfriend, like, went up to the hospital to see her while she was in the hospital. And like her sister sat on like her sister's boyfriend's lap and she was so out of it. She thought it was me. And she tried to like <laughs> fight her sister in the room and, and pulling stuff out of it. So like we, we had that, that happened to me and it was like a real traumatic experience. And then Stevie got his girl pregnant immediately afterwards and made me his son's godfather. So it was like a very, very precious thing for me. Like he, you know, my godson is 13 now, thoroughest young boy ever, like super thorough. 
me and him send each other pictures of drip all day. Like, what you got? What you got on today? Don't wear this. Like, that was corny. He be getting mad at me. Like, you don't get it. I'm like, no, man, trust me, trust me. One day I'm at home. I was working at the DA's office. One day I'm at home. I got a phone call. They're like, yo, man, I'm real sorry, man. I know that young boy was real close to you, man. I'm like, huh? They're like, no, man, um, unit. He got killed. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. And, um, Wait, the cops called you and said this? No, no, no. Oh. Young boys around my way called okay. me. Like, people that I was real tight with that knew. Like, and the funny thing is, is that Unit was a crazy young boy. He was one of the young boys that run through the hood. He would terrorize young boys. But me and him were just joined at the hip. Like, I, he was like, like, I was the diplomat. He was the one that, he was not a diplomat. Let's just say it that way. <laughs> me and him had a very symbiotic relationship. And we had a big falling out when I left him. When I left him to go to law school. I was the one that knew how to make a play. He knew how to make plays, but he felt the need to affirm himself a little bit more than I did. So like if somebody came at me and said like, yo, you can't sell drugs out here unless you have my drugs. I'm smarter than that, man. I'm going to buy drugs off of him and he's not even going to realize that I'm running circles around him. Stevie would be like, force me. So that, it, like Tommy and Ghost. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. That show, <laughs> that show gives me heartache. I don't see myself in Ghost, except for the fact that he can't wear a suit as good as I do. So, <laughs> so I don't see, I mean, he's, he looks good in a suit every once in a while, but eh, he's short. I don't really see myself in ghosts. Tommy is Stevie 100%. Like, like 100%. Tommy and Stevie, like the relationship that they have and the way Tommy responds to stuff. Like right. I see that show and it breaks my heart because I'm just like, damn, Stevie, like, damn. So he ended up getting killed. And I'm just saying, I gave all that background to help people understand like how tight we were. Like right. that was my boy. And we had reconnected and I had apologized to him for leaving them in the streets. Like he's like, I just don't have, like it's like, I don't, you know, and he had other homies that he would, that he ended up getting real tight with. But Duke and Steve was like, that was a thing. Duke mm-hmm. and Steve, Duke and Steve, Duke and Steve. So he ended up getting shot and killed by a cop. And then like that next year, I knew I had to leave the DA's office. Like I couldn't take it anymore. There was trouble at the DA's office with, like my little brother had been accused of some stuff and they were telling me I couldn't hang with my family. And I'm just like, I don't know what type of boundaries y'all think I'm setting, but I'm not living like this. And I ended up going to do a corporate job. But then when I got to the corporate job, I kept getting distracted by these police shootings. Like I had started doing police reform work while I was still in the DA's office. I was on a team of, I was at the level where like every investigation that involves a police officer discharging his firearm is treated like one of the highest priority cases in the, D, in the police department. They do a reinvestigation and everything like that. And I had a couple of cases where the police officer had been cleared. So the police officer had shot someone, but they said it was a justified shooting. But I still I still had to prosecute the guy that the cop shot. So sometimes it'd be a guy that pointed a gun at a cop. Sometimes it'd be a guy that stabbed somebody and like the person wasn't dead. So they were getting prosecuted. And I would still prosecute the case, but then I would not have to defend the police officer doing the shooting, but I would see the way that they investigated the cases. So I got real familiar with how, what questions were asked, who did the investigations, all of that sort of stuff. Then when Trayvon Martin got killed, I got sent, selected by the DA's office to go to a National Black Prosecutors Association meeting in the county where Trayvon Martin got murdered. So I'm literally down there. The night that the verdict came down that George Zimmerman was not guilty, I was getting off the plane in that county in Florida. It was nuts down there. Like they were so pissed. And what the black prosecutors sat around that day, they were all mad because they were mad at law enforcement. They felt like law enforcement didn't investigate the case correctly. 
and they felt like the police didn't investigate the case correctly, which made it impossible to prosecute. And then it also was a conversation like they need more black prosecutors because a black prosecutor would have got the case done. For sure. So what ends up happening? We start looking at how to hold the police accountable to make sure that because the real issue with the Trayvon Martin case is, is that they treated it like it was a justified murder when they investigated it. If they would have treated George Zimmerman like a murder suspect instead of a victim, the case would have been more easily prosecuted because, I mean, you you do things like you take pictures of the knuckles and the head and you see, oh, he bashed your head against the ground. Let's get fresh pictures of your head. Let's right. go out into the dirt and not take your word for it and investigate it independently. The police didn't do that. They were on George Zimmerman's dick the moment that they ran into him. He's like, yo, this crazy black kid tried to break into my house and they investigated it that way. So we were tasked as prosecutors looking at it from a perspective of how do we hold the police accountable as prosecutors? How do we get them to do better investigations and not biased investigations? And then I bounced from the DA's office with that knowledge that I had from a prosecutorial perspective. And I saw what the issues were, what the problems were. Um, I used to try to get my boss to be a little bit more aggressive on it. And then I was on a policy group that rewrote how Philadelphia handled police shootings when I first left the DA's office, it was me, Seth Williams, Tariq Al-Shabazz, George Mosey, and a bunch of other black community stakeholders. We rewrote the DA's office's policy on how they were gonna treat families of people that were shot by the police, sp speaking specifically about the controversy involving Brandon Tate Brown, may he rest in peace. Um, he was someone that was killed in the same time frame as like the Trayvon Martin stuff in Philadelphia and really activated the Philadelphia Black Lives Matter stuff. So when that stuff was going on, I kind of just, picked up books, learned the laws, read everything that was out there on it. Four years ago, there was right after, I want to say Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. I'm like at work one day and my phone keeps, because every time a shooting happens, a police shooting happens or something like that, every time the cops kill somebody, people start calling me and all black lawyers, really, what, how does this work? How does this happen? Why is this okay? Why hasn't Breonna Taylor's murderers been arrested yet? Like you, you get those questions and like sometimes we, I mean, I don't, I'm not from Kansas. I don't know Kansas law, but you have to research it and figure it out. And then I finally just got tired of sending people individual text messages about everything that was going on. And I wrote an article for Philadelphia magazine and I literally did it so that I could practice law. Like if you think about it this way, some people think I did it because I was trying to be a leader. I was doing it because I was tired of responding to individual text messages about police shootings. I could just send a link to an article. Like every time somebody asks me a question, this is what you need to do. What can be done? Here it is. What can be done? Here it is. What, what, why is this happening? Here it is. It was an article so I could focus on work. And it was therapeutic, but I learned so much. And when COVID was happening and I was like, like many other people, I was spiraling a bit. I wasn't doing as well. I was quarantined by myself. Wasn't seeing my kid as much as I should. I was you know, every day was Sunday brunch. So I'm like having mimosas at 11 on Wednesdays and, you know, sleep like people calling me at four o'clock. Like, what you doing? I'm like my speech already slurred. You know, I had to ban liquor from my house because I was drinking too much. Like it was just like you day drinking every day because there's nothing else to do. Or then George Floyd happened. And um, that literally woke me up out of it. Like it woke me up out of it. It was my first time putting on a suit in seven weeks or something like that. And I got up, went downtown. We got on a call, thank God, uh, Jordan Harris, who's again, the guy I mentioned earlier, who's the deputy whip for the state Democratic uh, caucus for the uh, for the House of Representatives. He put together a team of local lawmakers and said we needed to do something. 
Um, he invited three lawyers, myself, Kevin Mincy, and Kier Gray, who's the chief defender for the public defender's office. And they have like their the defender association. People talk negatively about public defenders. Our public defender's office is probably the best public defender's office. Like public defenders get a bad rap. Some places they don't have enough resources, so they don't get to do as well as they. But nobody's a better criminal defense lawyer than a public defender. And speaking to that, Kier Gray and her office, they had a, like they just had like massive amounts of data and recommendations already ready. Mix that with like my knowledge of like politics and who the players are. We were able to put together like this slate of like 42 reforms and it was already ready. Like, so like they were like, what are y'all going to do about it? And we literally turned around and hit people with 40 recommendations, like bam. And we were the first group to come out with like this huge platform in any state. And then we started getting stuff done and we're now we're stalled. We're not getting as much done as we should. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying like we're not doing the work, but it's just hard because it's Republicans, a Republican led legislature that doesn't want to change the rules. There's a lot of money involved. I mean, because I tell people all the time, it's it's one of the most massive transfers of wealth. When you take the police and they collect our tax money and they move out the count, move, move out, like they tax me at some exorbitant amount. They take all this money from me every year and then they give all that money to the policing and the prisons and stuff like that. So it's a huge amount of battle going on with it. But. Um, the good thing is, is that we're organized, we're together and my work with it. I mean, I've been ducking it a bit lately. I mean, I don't, I, I wasn't doing it consciously, but I get calls from people that are like, Hey, help me with this or, and it's exhausting. So when Jacob, I think it was Jacob Blake was yeah. shot, um, a few days ago. Um, I, I, I haven't, I don't want to talk about it. It's still my birthday in my mind. So it was just like, it's still my birthday. I'm working through some personal stuff involving trying to, again, trying to develop a great relationship with my daughter. But also I'm trying to develop like this great relationship with my friends. And we're trying to like we're talking about through this mental health stuff. Um, not like I'm having problems, but you, it's just you have to take a conscious mm -hmm. effort. And I just don't have time to be angry about about it right now. Like we always say this, like I don't feel like being a black man today. Like so when the white like when when, when police officers used to shoot people and, and, and white colleagues used to come into my office and say, how are you feeling about this? I'm like, I don't want to feel about it. Like, I want to make a million dollars a day just like you. Like, I don't want to be distracted by that. But that's why I'm glad that we, we have a group because the group really we've been picking each other up. And uh, we got some stuff coming down the pike because for people like the young man that I represented who got out of jail after 20 years in prison, they come home and they don't have anything. So my our reform working group, now that I've resolved that case, um, we can I don't have a conflict of interest so I can work on helping people like him get more resources from the city and from the state. But that's how I got into it, man. It's all for my young boy, Stevie. And, um, you know, it's been seven years. I, th I think it was 2013, April or May 2013 when he passed away. So how long have you been a lawyer? Ten years now. OK. Yep. So it's wow. Like I still be sitting back like, wow, I've been a lawyer. I, I, people always talk about my background and my past, but I've, I was I've been a lawyer longer than I was a drug dealer. Right. I was a lawyer longer mm -hmm. than I've been a college student. I'm a lawyer longer than I've been a lawyer longer than I've been most of the things I've been in my life. So it's really a part of my identity now. Like you can't take it from me anymore. I used to feel like somebody's gonna take it from me. Now it's like I'm I'm like this is what I this is who I am. This is what I, I mean. Like this is like you got a sneaker size. I'm, I'm a lawyer. Like, like what size sneaks you wear, lawyer? <laughs> Before we move away from the police shootings and everything, um, I wanted to ask: Do you think that the the Black Lives Matter movements and like the buying black the strides that have been happening lately, do you think it's a trend or you think we're seeing real strides towards true change? 
there has to be a drastic shift of what the political center is. So mm -hmm. I don't think that we're going to see this sort of change where you think like everything's going to be perfect. But I think the political center has shifted. Like, so what used to be the center where everybody was like, oh, like Black Lives Matter is not controversial anymore. Three years ago, Black Lives Matter was not something you would get most people to say. Big companies, like, yeah. big, like now it's like, oh, of course, Black Lives Matter. And it's not even an issue. Like, it's like, I, I think that the political center has shifted. Do I think it will bring about the change that's necessary. I think that the change that's necessary is kind of already happening. I think it's kind of, we've got our new, we've got our new legal leaders. We've got voices. We've got people that are prominent. We see, like, it used to be that, like, being a prosecutor, I mean, I became a prosecutor because that was what made sense. Like, I was working at the public defender and somebody came to me and said, you can do a lot of change if you become a prosecutor instead. And I, I bought into that because at, at the time, the system didn't give deference to public defenders the way that it should. There was no criminal justice reform. Like I, if I thought a cop was lying, I might have trouble convincing the judge to drop the case because the judge would not have given me that credibility. If I was a public defender, I would have never been able to accomplish what I would have done as a DA because as a DA, I would have been like, look, it don't, I don't have to tell the judge why it's getting, the case is getting dropped. You know, I'm I'm going to my was in, I, I say this all the time on I've been on other podcasts and stuff. I was in the DA's office for for three months, brand new lawyer and caught a cop lying and reported the entire squad. They ended up getting indicted wow. like four years later. Like I, the first like it was like my first day out and I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm allowed outside. OK. Oh, lying cop, lying cop, lying cop. I'm telling on y'all like and, and that was like, like, does that make me a snitch? No. Does telling on bad cops no. make me a snitch? No, I signed paperwork and everything. The cop was lying. Papers. Yeah, I was on the papers, but it was cops I was telling on. And you know, but that's crazy. You get on social media nowadays. We would be like, you you told on the cop. I would have told on the cops, but I ain't no snitch. I'm like, so wait, wait, wait. So the cop can rob you, smack you around, but you can't tell on cops they're like I've, I've seen bad takes like that. i've seen like black I don't, I don't mess with black lives matter because they be trying to get them cops locked up where i'm from we don't get the cops locked up we don't get nobody locked up we take them out and i'm like so we just take all the cops out and go to jail it's like returning where are yeah. you dri drive to kansas and find the people that you you individually mr baggy rolex drive to kansas and find the cops that kill uh, find the cops that kill brianna taylor right. shoot he's bad it's, i'm telling you man these that's what i call when you see people acting childish like that on social media, coming up with these weird texts. They are literally in the baggy Rolex Olympics <laughs> to say the dumbest shit possible. Like that is such baggy Rolex energy. <laughs> Get y'all links taken out, man. All right, this yeah, is really good. This is a really good um, conversation we just had. <laughs> so for our segment, Moment of Truth, we're going to do things a little bit different than we used to do it. We have questions here in this jar. Okay. You're going to pick one. And whatever you pick, we all have to answer. It better not be messy. I promised somebody that I would stop being messy. Oh, sorry, somebody. Just might be messy. <laughs> all right, it's not too messy. It's not too messy. Would you have a sugar mama or sugar daddy? Can a sugar daddy have be like because like I'm for you? Would you have a, would you have a sugar mama? No, but I'm saying like, is it possible for a person that's don't you have to be broke to? Have a sugar mama? No, you can have somebody richer than you. Oh, I don't think that's possible. Somebody's just talking. <laughs> Listen, you I'm talk talking shit. I'm talking shit. I'm talking shit. No, no, no. No, that's like one of the things that like I've always had trouble with because it's like you kind of want to have somebody. Like, you want to have a Savannah James. LeBron can be with his wife the, the way that he is un 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 because he she been down since the beginning. Yes. Like, you know what I mean, so when you start dating 
when you already up, it kind of creates this natural schism where it's like, damn, Personal what are you here for? I don't need you. No, not I don't need you. But like, are you here because I got bread? Like you start wondering, like but most rich people, like super rich people, they know certain people are there because they have money. True. But if, when you're looking for a partner, like you don't want that to be like a, a deal breaker, and especially in this, you know, in this climate where everybody want a fucking Lamborghini uh, because Ari got a Lamborghini. But <laughs> so for me, what I want a sugar mama, I, I would like to deal with somebody who is equally yoked. I'm still lukewarm on the like my man pay all the bills conversation because it's like, what the fuck do you want to do with your money? Like, <laughs> like what are, you, what are you doing with your money if I'm staying for everything? Like, I feel like that's poor energy. And I guess that means that. Um, oh, shit, I'm poor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying like, like, what, what, like we, we want our kids to go to the best possible school. So if I'm paying all the bills and I'm paying the school tuition, if I can't send the kid to the best possible school and you want all your money to yourself. That means that our children's education is suffering. So you can say that your husband pays all the bills. Like, is that like a status symbol? So to answer the question is, would you have a sugar? Would I have a sugar mama? Of course I would. Like, why wouldn't I want to have a set of circumstances where, like, I don't have to worry about finances and stuff like that? What about y'all? I think. uh, Is it even a question? (laughs) You said no? Oh, you want to take a sugar I, daddy? Give me a sugar daddy. No, because they be all, it depends. Like, they be all old and, and nasty. Oh, yeah, Some of them don't even want no sugar. No, they be wanting sugar. They act like they don't. Listen, old men is creeps. Pop Molly, he's sweating. Sugar Ooh. daddy me. Well, I guess, well, does, does that imply that the woman has to be older than me? I just got yeah. done saying I was dating older women, too. Ain't that crazy? You just, yeah. Old, think, older yeah, than that, me. Yeah, that goes. So they have to be older. Yeah. Nah, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do it. Like 60. What's the oldest guy you ever messed with? Like 40. What, how about you? Handsome, pretty good. <laughs> Probably like fit in his 50s. That's so crazy. And then like they be having like diabetes and erectile dysfunction and stuff. Y'all really be patting their head. Oh, I never got that far. Yeah, I'm like, I'm not getting intimate with, with an old person. Yeah, like, listen, I'm going to tell you See, right you now. say you can't have no sugar daddy. No, sir. I've had, they, some of them don't want sugar. They just like, time, they like good company. No, eventually they're going to want sugar. It's not, it's not going to Is it a time frame on the question? Like, I have a sugar daddy Nothing freaked me out more than seeing like gray hairs on private parts. Like I, I was messing with a woman. Yes, no. I was messing with a woman. It was like gray hair down there. I was like, "Oh, you are a dinosaur." Oh, no, you are Gosh, a fossil. I can't admit. Yeah, yeah. So just imagine that. Like you dating a guy, you get down there, and it's like I'm it's cool. gray hair. It's like it's like it's like silver fox. I'm sorry, <laughs> like, Papa. Like, you know what they call them, gray fox or some shit like that. No, so thank like you. yeah, so like and then I dated one older woman, and the wop wasn't wop. and they like I'm talking about. There was a need for like additional products and stuff like that. <laughs> And like, no. Nah. How old are you going? Like, no. Nah, this people? is these. Listen, you'd be surprised that menopause take people out. And I'm not saying the pre-menopause. Like, I'm talking about. This is somebody it never over. Un, like, I'm so I'm 35, so I'm already a fucking dinosaur mm-hmm. myself. So like, if I dated somebody that was 10 years older than me 10 years ago, they'd be in their 40s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the oldest woman I ever dated was like, she's 45 now. Okay. Okay. Like, like she's so like she's so she's 10 years, years older than me. Than yeah, she's the ooh, she used to take care of me. That's a sugar um, mama. That's a sugar mama. Yeah. She's a sugar mama. She used to take care of me. But they're done that. She used to take care of me. But it's only 10 years. I don't feel like a sugar mama, but she did take care of me. That was always good. Okay. So can you drop a gem for our listeners? Leave them with something that they would take and they can learn from? If, if I wanted to make sure, and then this is just another motivational podcast. So if I, if I was going to like motivate somebody, I would, I would tell them um, 
I mean, I guess I would just talk to them about, like, you got to read um, Watch Your White Guys Have All the Fun. Um, it's a book by Reg, about Reginald Lewis, who was the first black, he was the first black man to own a billion dollar company. Um, technically, I believe he was a billionaire because he had a majority stake in the company. Um, he died prematurely from cancer um, at the age of like 53, but he was a real one. And like he talked his way into Harvard. He, he was a football player, traditional background, just like most of the people that, you know, you would identify with in the, in the hood. And um, he really was just like somebody that just found his way. And after he found his way, like he didn't give a fuck if he was welcome or not. So like he joined the, the, you know, he went to Harvard. So he went to the Harvard club in New York. Like he went to all the private clubs. He bought the nicest cigars. He bought the nicest cars. He bought the nicest suits. He did it all the way. And he competed with the white boys. Like he hit the book is called Watch the White Guys Have All the Fun because he didn't compete with black people. And I'm not saying that in the sense of like he thought he was better than black people. I think so frequently as black people, we're worried about com competing with blacks and we don't look at the full like like you'd be OK being the richest nigga in the hood, you know, having the nicest mm -hmm. car on the block. You know what I mean, but there are a lot of different blocks. You you should be trying to be the top person in Philadelphia and then the top. And typically, if you're the top person in Philadelphia, you're the top person in Pennsylvania, which is one of the largest states in the country. So like that's the that's the energy that I think all of us should be bringing at all times is that we're not competing with each other. And that's why I have no problem seeing all of my folks eat. All of my folks do well, because at the end of the day, they're not my competition. I'm trying to be the best lawyer, period, not the best black lawyer. I'm trying to be the best lawyer, period. So. You know, when my homies do well, I don't see it as I'm, it's not I'm not offended. And I think a lot of my haters that have out of nowhere, like they've been coming out of the woodworks um, over the last year. I think a lot of them over their lives have told themselves that they're the most thorough guy that they know. Like, I mean, and now that they're starting now that life is catching up with their asses because life would catch up with you and teach <laughs> you some shit. And you start realizing like, damn, maybe I am. Maybe I'm not that thorough or maybe maybe you are thorough, but there are just other thorough people out there. You don't need. Right. You know what I mean, you don't need to be you don't need to look at it as a competition. And what I'm saying is, is that the book is literally the title of the book is why should white guys have all the fun? So when I watch Billions, I'm thinking about Reginald Lewis because like I watch Billions and I be I'm going to I'm trying to compete with X if y'all watch Billions. Like I tried to get into it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like the type of energy that I bring. It's like we not we're not competing with each other. We trying to build the we gonna build something that's gonna compete with what they got going on. I'm trying to own the Sixers one day. And I mean that. Like, you know what I mean? And I only say it that way because, you know, as I set my goals, I gotta have something to strive for. And like owning, like if I own an NBA team, then I'll have to pay for courtside tickets. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> well, this was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure y'all subscribe, follow us on Instagram, YouTube. We post us, rate us, give us reviews. Tell a friend to tell a friend. I can do my YouTube voice. Thanks, guys. Like, subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> you got that from your door? Yeah, she'd be like, 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 subscribe. <laughs> what is it? Like, subscribe, comment. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. All right. <laughs> All right, we out. <laughs>